Hello, I'm Dapper Dan Gavostin, and I own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man, including the annuals, which I say definitely count, including that 1995 one that's not even an annual. Wow, we're just we're just lighting up with the with the controversial greatest hits, Dan. Well, you gotta start strong. I'm the I'm the mischievous one, Mark Janacchio, and I own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man, including the annuals including the negative issues, and those count. The annuals don't, especially that 95 one. But anyway, like, what are we what are we doing here? Like, it counts if it counts in your heart. Like, isn't that what Available Alan said? I don't know, whatever. But we're here, and we're about to do a show, I think. Yeah, so on that point, welcome to The Amazing Spider Talk, the show where two fans and collectors argue about annuals, but also uncover the strange, fun, and fascinating history of the Spider-Man comic universe. Thanks for joining us for another of our review episodes of The Amazing Spider-Talk. If you want to swing along with us on our journey through Spidey's past, present, and future, subscribe to Amazing Spider-Talk on your favorite podcast app and leave us a review to help spread the word about our show. This podcast exists because of the support of our Patreon members. If you want to receive early episodes, exclusive artwork, and keep this podcast going, go to AmazingSpiderTalk.com and consider joining our Patreon, where all the episodes of our upcoming Season 6 have already started going up several weeks early, including interviews with some of our favorite Spider-Man creators. But today on the show, Mark and I are going to be discussing Amazing Spider-Man Volume 6, Number 24. This issue is written by Zeb Wells. The interior and cover pencils, which are quite awesome, are by John Romita Jr. with inks by Scott Hanna, colors by Marcio Menez, and of course, letters by our favorite VC's Joe Caramagna. This issue was first released on April 19th, 2023. Mark, why don't you take us through what happens in Absolutely, this issue? Absolutely, Dan. I'm in a new comfy setup here, which is just going to make my recaps even more illustrious than they usually are, okay? So I, 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 I'm raising the stakes. All right, the Baxter Building. One year ago, maybe. Well, past midnight, at least. Or well past midnight. You know, punctuation matters, right? Anyway, Ben Grimm is getting a stack. He calls himself a genius, but he just pulls a fully made hero out of the fridge. And I gotta think, unless Reed has invented some kind of polymer that prevents bread from getting stale while it's sitting in the fridge for hours on end, how smart could Ben actually be here? Plus, he's already got tomato on this pre-made bed, uh, a pre-made hero. It's like sliced thin, like it's gonna be making the bread soggy. It's soggy tomato bread, and it's, that's stale. That's been in the fridge for a couple of hours. This scene is really upsetting me, Dan. Mark, cal- calm yourself. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. He's the thing. He's made of rock. I, I great guess so, but he says be. he's a genius. Anyway, Ben hears some racket, and it's Reed and Sue looking so lovely. Superhero marriages, am I right? But wait, the racket can't be from them because they just got in. It's Spider-Man stealing the, the, the mini fusion reactor match. Reed wants to know, why didn't he just ask? So Peter does, and Reed says, well, it's dangerous. And somehow, somewhere, someone is still criticizing this arc because all Spider-Man is supposed to do is ask his friends for help. Anyway, John, Johnny, flames on to stop this madness, but he gets a little too hot and either incinerates Spider-Man or Spidey escapes. Reed, noticing that there is no corpse, bets the ladder and torches on the case. 
Peter goes incognito on the New York City subway and arrives at Norman's warehouse in Jersey City. And I'm wondering what kind of subway technology Peter brought back with himself from Rabin's dimension, right? I mean, okay, look, I get that he probably took the subway to the path train, but like, we don't see any of that here. And I'm making a joke. So before you transit nerds come after me on Twitter, I'm just being funny or not, whatever. Anyway. There's also a shadowy, long-haired figure watching Peter and Norman as they do this whole thing. Peter gets to the warehouse, and Norman reveals a very futuristic spider suit, and then he drops some exposition about all the other tech Peter has been borrowing from superheroes. And Peter pushes Norman to send him now, despite a lack of testing. Some might call this mission Operation Warp Speed, (laughs) am I right? The equipment is rocking and rolling, and then we learn that the shadowy figure is actually Miss Marvel. And since this isn't a Mafia movie, we have to guess that's how she ends up working for Oscorp rather than getting dumped into the ocean for witnessing an interdimensional crime. We get some really trippy art here from JRJR, and Rabin's face appears like he's Mufasa himself, and in his best James Earl Jones voice tells Peter, You travel to your death. I slaughter you when you arrive. So Peter arrives, and he's standing over Paul and MJ with the Blade of Decay, and Paul looks like he's having a day, while MJ must be coming from an audition of First Blood given the bandana. It's really cool that she's still a working actress, even in other dimensions where time moves faster. Peter goes on the attack, and Rabin starts to taunt him, only to hear a small voice before getting impaled by his own blade. Paul mentions the kids, and Peter and MJ have a moment before MJ starts to turn around because he's been gone a long, long time. A lot has changed, and so Paul brings out the kids. Peter asks, who are they? And MJ says, they're my family. Absolutely nobody lost their minds over something that I I, I think is like like weird. Just to be honest, like Twitter lost it over this and I don't really get it. Like we knew about this from issue one. Why is this still a, something that like we're acting like is melting our brains 23 issues in a year later. And uh, uh, anyway, cliffhangers and comics suspenseful, unexpected. Am I right? Never been done before in the history of a comic. I mean, I'm old enough to remember a comic a couple of years ago that ended with MJ looking like she died in an explosion caused by Kindred and Norman Osborn. And like the very first page of the next comic, she was very much alive. So, you know, like comics, maybe, right? (laughs) Yeah, we'll get into all of that stuff later in the episode. But I, I think to start this, you know, a lot of this arc has been, I think, satisfyingly closing in the gaps uh, between you know where where we are now in the future with issue one and what happened during that time period that year or six months or year and a half or whatever it is you know uh, that occurred. Luckily, the recap page doesn't talk about time in 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 this issue, so we don't have to uh, uh, scold editorial and their confusing time stuff for this issue. But I think this is like, for me, at least I thought this was another satisfying chapter of like what happened. I don't think there were a ton of truly shocking things in this that we couldn't have surmised based on context, you know, of the previous issues in this run. So in that regard, I thought this was a kind of like, you know, not quite as substantial as the previous chapters and as emotionally compelling, but still some really cool stuff. And just to start it off, Mark, I think we should ask ourselves every issue, is this what Peter did? Is building this suit with Norman and blasting himself to this other dimension, is this what Peter did? Do you feel emotionally satisfied that perhaps this is the moment that the marketing was pushing us to? Uh, I I don't know. I, I, I honestly don't know the answer to this. Do you feel like it is? I, I, I don't have an answer for you. I mean, is what did Peter do? I mean, like, steal some stuff? We kind of knew that's what Peter did. Like, like, like try to answer your question seriously. I mean, just to kind of, you know, t- address what you said, in, in, you know, just before that. I mean, like, you know, in terms of, like, my overall impressions here of this comic, I mean, I think, you know, I, I enjoyed this comic. I, I, I still feel like this storyline is moving in a very interesting direction, but I do feel like... You know, compared to the first three issues of this arc, 
you know, to your point, like, I feel like we learned the least in this comic. You know, I think that there were opportunities to learn more things that were not that we didn't really get to see. And we could address some of the specifics of what I'm talking about as as the review moves along. But like it it, it, it did kind of, I don't want to say sour me. It didn't sour me. But with less substance here, it's kind of hard to get a real sense of like, well, now we know more because uh, we don't. Like, did, did is this what Peter did? We still don't know. Like, you know, like, like I feel like you got to the end of this comic and, you know, again, not to always kind of equivocate all of my opinions versus what I'm seeing online about this comic. But like, you know, one of the, one of the things I saw from several people was like, you know, that they, that they feel like they had answers about things, whether it be, you know, what did Peter do or the kids and Paul and MJ and their relationship. And I'm just like, if you read the text and, and just see the things that happened on the page, we don't know. Like all, all, all you can be, all really we can do with this comic is make, inferences and conclusions based on what we either are speculating is happening or are how we are emotionally reacting to what's happening. So no, I can't, I, I, I honestly can't answer your question about is this what Peter did? Because I don't feel like he did anything that significant that we already didn't establish that he did many, many months ago in this comic book. The only reason I would like mount a case that this is maybe one of those big reveals is that like, so, like, yes, we can infer a lot of this stuff here. Obviously, he would have to return to Zabalba at some point and save MJ. And, you know, we can make that connection because we know that he works with Norman in some way and steals FF tech. And here we see him doing exactly that. It's just a lot of these elements are the very things that this book has been cagey about up to this point. It's like we know that he worked with Norman, but they've been very clear to not tell us on what. You know, and here we see exactly the what of that, right? We know that Kamala is working with Norman. We don't know why. And here we get our first real glimpse into what that is. We see Norman building spider suits. How did that start? Here we get the kind of answer to that. You know, we don't know what he stole from the FF. We get the answer to that. I feel like a lot of this was inferred, but like it's also been the kind of stuff they've been most cagey about since issue one kind of comes in here. I guess maybe maybe the reason why I'm being a little more noncommittal about it than you are is this is like, OK, we I guess we yes, we learn more about the what. But to my other point yet, yeah, like I, I kind of had a sense of what the what was. I still want to know the why, because I think the why is more important than the what here. You know, like not to, not to sound like kindred. It's not who I am. It's, you know, or how, how I am or whatever. <laughs> but but you know what I mean? Like like I and 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 I think this is also where this comic let me down a little bit is that, you know, like, you know, I think part of the emotional stakes of the initial question that was never actually posited in this comic, but was posited in the marketing for this comic, which is what did Peter do? You know, the fact that you saw him aligned with Norman Osborn. And yes, we, we, we saw in the last issue, like, you know, he's ready to put Norman through a wall and then, you know, but then he went to Norman because he realized he was the only one quote unquote willing to help. But like, I still feel like there is an emotional journey there to, you know, the, what would bring, Peter to the doorstep of his arch nemesis, uh, who has, you know, caused more misery in his life than any other character. And, you know, it's, it's, it's not saying that I don't believe that Peter would make that move because I do, but I, I want to see more of it. I want, I, 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 I think there's story to be told there. And maybe we will still get that. We have two double sized issues coming up. We might get that story, but I feel like this was the opportunity chronologically to do that. And to, and to get more into like the the emotional level of what did Peter do? Because I feel like seeing that process for him and that journey for him to to go from aligning himself with Norman Osborn, I think raises the stakes of whatever this thing that Peter did is just so nefarious. Like, yes, he's stealing from his friends and all that kind of stuff. That's not great. I I, I understand that. You know, we're, we're all seeing this from Peter's perspective and it's kind of like, of course he's doing this because he's trying to get back to MJ, you know, like, like it doesn't feel that nefarious to me, but like, you know, maybe there is something nefarious about how he 
got himself to ally with Norman and Norman convinced him, well, you got to get this from Tony and you got to get this from Reed. And you know what I mean? Like there's, there's, there's meat on that bone there that we're not getting a taste of. So it, it, it kind of like leaves, leaves this story a little flat for me. The story within this specific comic, a little flat for me. Yeah, that's totally understandable. It, you know, not to be that guy again, but, but I am that guy. Like the solicit for this very issue, like the advertisement for it was that you would be questioning by the end of the issue, who is the hero and who is the villain? And I don't think that this issue seemed particularly interested in that question. At least from my perspective, I don't doubt Peter's actions at all. Like, I mean... Or, or that they are actions that are logical to the character of Peter. And I'm sure we can talk about this later um, when we talk about that alignment with Norman Osborn in more detail. But, you know, I just don't question his actions in this. It seems very much in keeping with the character to me. So I, I didn't I didn't see that solicited question answered here. And the reason I bring up the solicited at all is to say, like, in crafting that solicit, it means that that was a question that was on the minds of the creator in the creation of the story arc. And so I hope we get more of that, but I don't, I'm with you that I don't think this issue fully invests itself entirely in. It's not as interested in the mindset of Peter than it is in the, like what exactly is going on beat to beat. There are a couple of like, for all the questions that it answers, there's still a bunch of like lingering questions that I think are out there. For example, you know, it's very clear in this issue. Norman lays out that, Peter only has the tech enough to do one more jump and send himself and one other person back through the portal to return to the 616 universe. Then that, you know, begs the question, well, how did Paul and the kids get back where we see them in the present day? Some other thing is bound to happen, whether Paul creates another spider device or whatever in the time that Peter's been away. That seems fairly convenient. My guess is that there's something else going on there because then there's a whole other question of like, here Paul clearly knows that Peter is Spider-Man. Whether he has a concept for what Spider-Man is or isn't is another thing entirely. We don't know how long Paul has been in this dimension or or even if Paul is a member, uh, you know, denizen of the 616 primarily. But it seems like in present day, Paul doesn't know that Peter is Spider-Man. At least it hasn't been brought up. Like he comes to check in on Peter like he's just a normal dude. So it suggests some kind of like mind wipe or something like that is occurring. So I don't think that the kind of like mechanics of Peter's return to the 616 is like truly we've seen the whole story there just yet. My understanding, and again, I could be reading the text wrong, was, and I'm, and I'm referring to whatever issue it was several months ago might have been like during the hobgoblin arc i mean like there was some kind of line put in there about like like the inference i got was that like mj was was dead and norman brought her norman helped bring her back to life so i feel like there's still more happening about to happen in these next two issues that's going to i think really color the question of what did peter do and why is this so questionable as a as a as a decision that he made you know what i mean like i, I the exact uh the exact wording in that comic is that mj was lost and i think at the time we thought maybe that meant dead but now it's been cleared up no you're right and that i, I like I, I was searching for what the original word so lost could be in time to echo your point i still feel like there, there are things that need to ha- that have to happen or should be happening in these next two comics that i think you know like I don't know. Like when you posit a question, what did Peter do? And like kind of show what you have shown so far throughout this comic. Like, you know, even as someone who relates to and identifies with Peter, I'm fully anticipating having a moment over the course of this arc where Peter does something that just makes me go, oh, Peter, like, what are you doing? You know what I mean? Like, and I haven't had that yet. You know what I mean? Like everything still feels very like aligned and justified with team Peter, even if other people aren't understanding what he's doing in the moment. You're like, no, no, no. He's still being a hero right now. But like, I'm, I'm still waiting on the thing he does that makes him not a hero. And maybe the villain as this solicit that I did not read. <laughs> insinuates. Uh, but we didn't get it here for certain. 
So moving on from one question to another, like for me, this was the kind of like first moment. Like I, I think over the issues we've talked about, I've been much more kind of like uh, in line with the mumbo jumbo, the mystical mumbo jumbo of of this arc than than you have. You know, like uh, the thing I've always been saying is the mumbo jumbo doesn't really matter. It's the stakes, the immediate stakes for Peter and his friends and family. And I think the book has done a really good job of like, look, it's all the, you know, compared to still like a Hickman comic, you know, the mumbo jumbo takes the forefront there, you know, and like, and you're meant to understand it. And here, if you don't understand it, I don't think you're missing out on much. Like it is from Peter's very grounded New York City perspective, you know, he is just a person on board this ship and he's doing whatever he can to survive and keep the people close to him safe. This was the first comic where I felt like I was truly out of the loop on what was happening in the comic in a way that I didn't like. And that's not to say that like, it's not intentional, like that we're still not meant to be kept at an arm's length. Cause there's like a great moment where Rabin is stabbed. You know, he says all this mumbo jumbo as he's being stabbed and, and, and Paul is just like, whatever, like it works for me, like, like you're dead and that's good enough for me. Like that kind of like makes fun of all the mumbo jumbo of, of Rabin and all this math and stuff like that. But there's just a lot of competing things going on in this comic. Like Rabin's motives are kind of all over the place. Like he, when Peter's blasting through space, he says that he like wants to die so that he can become a God. But then when Peter shows up, he doesn't really seem interested in that like he's interested in killing MJ and only in death does he kind of change his mind. Like there's just a lot of weird stuff going on. And I felt like really alienated by it. And again, like I'm willing to admit that that's intentional. And I, I just like am flagging, like, I hope we're not supposed to be understanding what's going on here. How, how did you feel reading all this? As you acknowledge, I think it's just more of the same for me. I mean, like this is, like you said, this is probably like my least favorite aspect of this story is this kind of like very cosmic-y kind of mythology behind it that's driving the action here but i do agree with you that i don't feel it's it's an like yes it's happening and and i guess understanding it or being on board with it is certainly you know it's not a bad thing to as a reader but like i don't i also like you said like we've been getting so much from peter's point of view and like that that sense of desperation and drive from him that you know like that's that's what's that's at the heart of this book not like Rabin's ceremony here but which is just a long-winded way of saying like I don't I didn't find this comic specifically to be to cross a line in any way the way you kind of are insinuating like that would have like made me feel less engaged. Like, I, I think like I'm just not engaging with this storyline no matter what. And I mean, I agree with everything you said. So it's not like, uh, we're, oh no, it was fine for me. It was, I, I, you know what I mean? Like, it's just like, I'm just like, no, I mean, it, it was like, you know, if we're, if we're grading things on on an engagement level for me, it, 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 it disengaged me just as much as it did two issues ago when I was making all of the everything everywhere all at once jokes during the recap. So, you know, it's just kind of like, all right, you know, like he's dead. He's not dead. He's a god. He's not a god. He's in the sky. He's not. I, I mean, like speculate, speculate if you will. But this is all just kind of like whatever to me, like what's happening between Peter and, and MJ and Paul and the kids. I, you know, we, and we still don't know. So I think for me, it's just that like the stakes are less clear. Like last time we saw Rabin, the stakes were very clear. If he kills Spider-Man, he disrupts whatever cycle and gets to become a God, you know? And here, like, it's not even about Spider-Man. It's like, I got to kill Mary Jane. I got to kill myself. You know, I'm like, uh, okay, like, uh, just choose one and stick with it. And and that's the thing. But I do have some suspicion, like, like that this will end up making sense. Like, when Peter is traveling, like, through dimensions, you know, we see this, like, cosmic Rabine. Like, this, he almost looks like, uh, oh, my God, why am I forgetting the name of uh, uh, the the god uh, of, uh, you know, uh, like, the... Eter- like, uh, Eternity or Eternity. Yeah, yeah. yeah, he looks like Eternity. My guess is that that is like him post death because we know why his God power, he exists outside of time. Like 
we even saw him fight Peter that way with his like opening portals and punching him from the past or whatever it was, you know, my guess is that like Peter is seeing a Rabin that is already outside of time and post death. He is coming to Peter and saying he's foreseen his death is what unlocks his ability to connect to Yeb and perhaps even to return in the present day is that like he has unlocked himself from time in dying, which he says as much like he had become Rabin or at Yeb in mind, but not in body. And it was his the death of his physical body that unlocks him to, you know, travel wherever he wants. And, and I think that's what we're seeing when Peter is traveling through space. Is it kind of like all over the place? Yeah, but I, I do have, I do have a feeling that it will make sense ultimately, you know, especially cause like his death seems deliberately to be a bit of an anticlimax. Like if this was meant to be truly the death of Rabin in any real way, like, it's a really small moment. Even JR, JR, JR does not play it up visually. Like it's a little bit visually confused and like, you know, Paul, I guess stabs him in the back. You know, it's, it's not a big moment. What, what do you think of this still small voice that comes through to him? Do you have any theories on that? I mean, it's a very specific thing. With so much unanswered, despite some professing of answers, it can't, I mean, it, it really is, up to I think the reader to to infer and speculate here. I mean, I heard my brain went to something with the children, and I know we're seeing the children there, but like we we still do not understand who are these children and where are they from. And I know I you know not to get into the sausage making here, but we're going to talk a little bit about some theories in the second half of this episode. But the fact of the matter is like, like I, I, I feel like small voice had something to do with the children. That was my, my read of it. Like that was my, where my brain went. I think that's obviously, I think that they want you to think, and it seems like the logical conclusion. And again, it's to say, I don't think the nature of these kids is what we think it is. Like there is something else going on here. Uh, that we're going to find out in the next two issues. All right, that seems like a good enough breaking point to talk about our Slack. So, Mark, take it away. Well, absolutely. Hundreds of listeners like you hang out in our community of Spider-Man fans on Slack. The amazing Spider-Slack community is absolutely free to join, and you can jump into active conversations with awesome people about collecting conventions, movies, new comics, old comics, and more. Uh, Dan, what's been happening in the Slack this week? Yeah, Mark, this week in the Slack has been kind of an awesome celebration of uh, many of our Slackers getting key comics for their collection. We have a whole collecting channel and people sell books there and share things that they've been doing with their collections. But uh, it's kind of cool. Our editor, Alex Galucky, who I'm sure will put a picture of this in the video version of the show, he picked up an amazing Spider-Man number two for his collection, which is a really big issue. And even our listener Z, who gave me the T-shirt that I wore a couple episodes ago, picked up an amazing Spider-Man number one. Uh, and they both shared those experiences on there. And even, you know, Jeff, who's been a longtime listener and supporter of our show, he picked up, you know, uh, original art from this very run of JRJR's work. And shared it on there. So it's just cool. A lot of shared love of over the the slackers growth of their collections and unique memorabilia that they have. And people love sharing that stuff in the collections channel there on the slack. So, so have you, have you shared your copy of ASM negative one yet, Dan, or, or I have not. Cause it's still coming in the mail. Oh, okay. I'm still waiting okay. on it. Got so, it. Uh, Got it. <laughs> yeah. 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 So anyway, uh, come join in on the fun. Come join our amazing Slack. There's a link in the description of this episode that'll let you sign up in less than a minute. So with that, let's get back to our review of Amazing Spider-Man Volume 6, Number 24. So Dan, talk to me about the Fantastic Four sequence. It seems like you're a fan. I am a fan, Mark. I, I thought this was a really fun, like, aside in this comic. You know, like, nice to mix in some comedy here and there. Like, the stuff with the thing. First of all, uh, John Romita Jr. Kill, like, kills it on drawing the thing. I would definitely read an FF Spidey team-up book from Wells. I think he has the voices down really perfectly. You know, there's a little bit of Silver age in in this that, like, makes... 
it fun and I kind of associate with any kind of reading of the Fantastic Four. And I just like reading Zeb Wells with this tone of comic of, you know, and, and just like, even if it was a flashback, I like seeing Peter on the run and kind of up against other heroes doing his own thing like in a misconstrued way. It took me all the way back to Amazing Spider-Man number one. And I just thought this was a really fun sequence. But I don't understand, Dan. What I keep hearing is that people think Peter is acting out of character here. What do you think about that? I don't think so at all. I think this is completely in character for for Peter. I mean, yes, to your point, everybody seems to be deliberately missing that he asked for permission, well, after the fact, but they also aren't going to allow him it then. You know, this is a person who is desperate and, and desperately doing what he needs I think this is very in keeping with him, like all the way back in Amazing Fantasy 15, like the character. Yes, you could say he changed by the end of that story. But in that story, he invites his peers to join him at the science exhibit. And when they tell him no, he scorns them immediately and continues to do his own thing. Like Peter has always been the type of character to push aside loved ones, whether that's Mary Jane or Gwen Stacy or his Aunt May. Uh, because of his own stubborn determination to do what he thinks is right. And in this instance, he's very clear on what he thinks is right. He needs to save MJ and no one is going to get in his way. And that's what makes the character so interesting is there's a very real road to put Spider-Man on the path to becoming a villain, which again gets back to that solicitor I mentioned earlier is like, he is someone who has a rugged determination behind him that you could see going the wrong way. And we may very well reach the end of this arc and realize what Peter did was a massive mistake. You know, like in his determination, he did something that he's likely going to regret, whether that's working with Norman or going to another dimension or messing with space-time continuum. I don't know. This is very Peter Parker to me. You, Mark? Yeah, I, I, look, like again, I, I, I hate to keep framing the debate around some of the criticism that I'm seeing in pockets around, you know, the online communities. But the fact of the matter is, like, you know, having having, quote unquote, growth as a character doesn't mean that all of that character's previous characteristics, specifically the flaws and the fall- the fallible ones, just disappear completely from the character. Like you, you are you are allowed to grow and improve and still make still make the same mistakes because that's what humans do. And that's you know like yes, we're reading about a superhero and a comic book character, but you know I've always felt that the appeal of Peter Parker is the fact that he is so relatable and he is the everyman and he is someone that you can see. You know, like you could see anybody kind of walking into that role because of just how generically relatable he is as a person, as his his fallibility. So, you know, yes, we, we you know, like you said, at the end of Amazing Fantasy 15, things happen and he's changed. But like we've seen continuously continually over the years, whether it be in the Dicko era, the Ramita era, the DeFalco era, the Stern era, the Michelini era, on and on and on, Peter having these moments of emotional regression because he's either acting impulsively or his determination is getting the best of him or he's making, uh, you know, he, he he's making a snap decision and it's the wrong one, you know, like, like it's just, it's part of the canon of this character. You know, I, I, I said recently, you know, Peter is someone who routinely makes mistakes and has to own up to them. And I had several people being like, what are you talking about? Peter doesn't make mistakes. That's not what the character is about at all. And I'm like, okay, well, then I guess we're just reading about the character differently. You know what I mean? Like that's because that's always how I've interpreted this, you know, whether it's it's Uncle Ben or Gwen Stacy or Captain Stacy or, you know, and on and on and on and on. I mean, like it, it, it's just part of the core of the character. I mean, it's just a Crusher Hogan story writ large here. You know, the stakes are different, but like, you know, or the size of it is different, but the stakes are the same and the character decisions are the same. And that's what makes, I mean, beyond all of that, e- even if there's growth, that's what makes the character fun to read. I want to read the fun version of this character is the one that makes mistakes. Like a perfect Peter Parker is just inherently less fun to read. And it's just, like I said, it's also unrealistic, which is a funny thing to say when you're also reading about a character jumping dimensions and having spider powers and, you know, fighting gods. But, you know, again, that is what has 
been Marvel's calling card for over 60 years is the fact that, you know, these are, these are every, you know, everyday heroes, you know? <laughs> so like, I, you know, even, even the Fantastic Four dynamic, I mean, they're, they're the first family of Marvel and yes, they, they have lives and they're together and they're moving on. And yet, you know, the thing 60 plus years later is still, you know, eating sandwiches, you know, at a, you know, in his bathrobe. Well, you know, <laughs> it's just it's like, you know, like, like you said it's what makes it fun um so i i i don't understand why yeah why why we're we're dismissing an entire storyline because we we are just you know some people are just determined to say well this isn't the character it's like you know i i feel like hey you know maybe it's not a version of the character that you like or that you relate to but like i i have not seen anything in both in this comic and elsewhere during this arc that has felt like has not reflected some version of Peter Parker that I've seen in this comic book over the last 60 years. So like, I, I, I really want to kind of move forward and pass that as a criticism here in terms of the characterization. I don't see anything that that's far, you know, far off the reservation here. So. Well, I'll also add that, like, I think it's really great to see this in a, in a book like this, because like so many of the Marvel titles now have really lost the what I think is the original appeal of Marvel, which is like that it's relatable characters. They like anybody could be them, or they live in a world that you recognize. You know, the idea of secret identities is almost entirely gone from this universe. You know, like most of these characters are operating well beyond their initial like you know place of starting. You know, like like they're not fighting the same battles that they used to fight. You know, uh, in, in the comics and you know, that, that changes run to run, you know, like, you know, the Hulk is cosmic now, you know, like, like, like everything has been elevated so much over the years. It's not to say they're not enjoyable, but the fact that we've got a book with Spider-Man in it, where we're still mining drama from the Norman Osborn of it all, you know, and, and real drama from that, I find honestly refreshing, like that, like we're still, operating in those realms even if we are dealing with some grand mysticism and dimension hopping i i i i'm refreshed that spider-man feels like it's still interested in the things that made it popular in the first place which is to say a flawed character at the center of it anyway talking about working with norman osborne i thought that was a really fun part of this story yeah it's not quite as deep as um i think you wanted first of all jrgr's visuals of like the new suit and all the mechanics of like popping the spider into the chest and all of that stuff is really cool there's some great dialogue here you know norman's like thank you for trusting me in this and peter's like i don't you know and and i, I you know it, that, that stuff is what makes this drama between the characters so fun is like it is an inherently fraught connection there and you can feel the stakes of it you know, when he says, like, just do it, you know, half the, you know, half the time I'm expecting it to just turn New Jersey into a crater, you know, uh, you know. So, uh, like, I thought that whole sequence, even before we got to the trippy dimension hopping stuff, was really a great deal of fun. Yeah, no, 100 percent. And, and and you know, like there, there were it's funny. There were aspects of reading this book where I almost like didn't recognize the art as J.R.R.J.R. But then when I look more closely at it, I'm like, oh, no, it's his his style is certainly there. But like, I, I definitely feel like this book is is push was pushing him into in in angles that I don't know. Well, certainly not in a Spider-Man book that we've ever seen from him before, you know, like so. It was just a, 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 the art on this book, whole book was a tremendous amount. I mean, I, I, like, look, I, I, I am an unapologetic fan of John Romita Jr. So it, it's going to take a lot for me to 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 kind of turn my opinion on him there. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Well, it just seems like he's having fun, you know, and I, I think you can see it on the page. I, I think the 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 page that we're, you know, probably just shadow referring to is like spaghetti Spider-Man, if you will, like him being just stretched you know to pieces like but what i love about that is it's still as cool as that visual is it's still very um like aligned with the story uh, as it's being told like it's very mathematical you can see the grid lines and and the way that it's done but also looks like a web you know as he's going through it and like one of the things i commended this this writing for doing is like selling me on spider-verse 
in the background that like, oh, it's the magic and 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 math are one and the same thing. I mentioned the Thor connection a few episodes ago. But here you can literally see it. Like it looks like like strained, you know, quantum graphing, but it also looks like a web. And it's like that theme that we got all the way back to JMS, which is like, is it science or is it mysticism? And here you can see the literal, like one visual sells me on all of that. I just think, wow, what a, what a triumph. Like if you can sell one of the biggest skeptics of the comic Spider-Verse on this concept, you know, with a, a single visual, this was it. You know, what a cool way to put it. Uh, I'm sure you had an, an, an equally jaw-dropping experience with that page, yeah? Oh, 100%. So, so Dan, uh, we we alluded earlier to the fact that, we, that you know, elements of the ending were a little anticlimactic and kind of like, well, that happened. Um, but but why don't we why don't we talk about the 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 Peter, Paul and Mary Jane of it all, which, you know, is I'm sure totally unintentional. Right. In terms of what is happening here, you know, like because obviously this is this is the sequence that kind of broke the Internet again. <laughs> um, I'm curious to get to get both your thoughts on it. And, you know, I, I, I am feeling even generous enough to let you speculate a bit, Dan. So how, how do you how do you how do you like them apples? Oh, wow. Well, I'm I'm very you know, I'm very reluctant to speculate publicly. Like, you know, like it's privately going on, but like I like I feel like every time I put myself out there, I end up looking like a fool. But I did. I did want to like, you know, put something out there. But first, like this made me feel really awkward. I, I know the word cuck has been going around on the Internet and I hate invoking it here because one, I think it's actually an inappropriate use of that word because it's not at all what's going on here. Peter shows up and, you know, after the defeat of, of Rabine tries to embrace Mary Jane and she turns away from him. And I got to admit, I felt really awkward in this moment. Like Peter puckers his lips up and it's just like kind of read the room. Like whether or not like time has passed and she's still in love with him or whatever. They just killed like this dude that like has been trying to kill them. Yeah. Who's been potentially like, yeah, tormenting them for years in their time now or however long. it is. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Like I can understand like emotionally for Peter, like that's what makes it so awkward is like emotionally for Peter. He like, you know, loves Mary Jane and wants to go save her and he wants to be the hero and, and you know, the big kiss embrace and that gets, you know, obviously turned on it on its head. It just like, like my gut just went like, like just I felt really uncomfortable with the way that JRJR drew it like it, it was just a very uncomfortable page and I know intentionally so um and and Mary Jane turns away from him and says you know look a lot of time has passed a lot has changed implying that the relationship is not quite the same um which is totally understandable given whatever the circumstances are here I'm, I'm sure we're going to find out the exact amount of time that has passed for them and obviously we get the page turn of the kids coming out and Mary Jane saying, quote unquote, they're my family. Mark, I'm curious to like your reactions to reading it on the page and then your feelings. I, I, I will start with, you know, looking at what I view is the intentionality of word choice here. She doesn't say like they're they're like Paul and my kids or you know, like, you know, it's the, the intentional word here is they're my family, which, you know, she doesn't even say they're our family, you know, like, right. It's specific to her. Yeah. yeah. Which, you know, like, and like, this is where I'm just going to let you go off, Dan. So, you know, like, you know, get, 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 get your popcorn ready. But like, you know, it, 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 it begs the question of like, who, who and what these kids are, if they are, yeah, what I, I would I will say outright one one of them physically and from the get go physically looks exactly like Mary Jane. So you know, like there there is, and like you know the the the, the boy. There have been, frankly, there have been comics where I feel he kind of looks like Peter, but then there are also comics that you know there are people who think it looks like Paul. Okay, whatever. But either way, like. The, the girl definitely looks like MJ. So it, it does stand to reason that these children are of some kind of genetic linkage to MJ at the very least. So they're my family in meaning her family. You know what I mean? So like, I, I, I don't know what we can 
infer beyond that. Like you said, there was just a whole lot of awkward in that scene um, and things that we, you know, that have happened that we have not seen yet that we know we're going to see. You know, I, I, I don't read the solicitations, but, you know, just, you know, frankly, from people rage tweeting about it, I've seen preview pages for the next issue. <laughs> um, so, you know, like it's th- that that for you section on Twitter just really is a game changer, Elon. So thank you for 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 serving up rage to everyone. Yeah, I, I like I know we're going to get more about that's going to explain a lot of this and what's been happening and why MJ might be reacting a certain way. I will say, you know, whether you know, regardless of how these children were created and whose DNA they have, you know, we're not going to go all Mori Povich here. But like, you know, if 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 MJ and Paul have been stuck in another dimension for a significant period of time with two children and they have essentially been raising them like there is going to be a bond there regardless of how these children came about, regardless of not if MJ cucked Peter uh, as one great website put in its headline, you know, pe- and, and people just got to understand that. So, because uh, <laughs> again, that's just human nature. That's, that's, that. I think that's really all I want to say about that, Dan. I don't, you know, I, I, it's not that I'm not trying to have fun here, but like, I'll push back and say like, I don't see the boy uh, whose name I think we haven't gotten yet. Or no, it's, it's it's Owen. Sorry, it's Owen. I don't see Owen as looking like Paul at all. Like fr- from the get-go, he has looked like a young Peter Parker to me. I think what we are, <laughs> and this is not to dismiss you because I, I actually agree with you, Dan, but I think what we have learned dramatically about this specific run of comics is people are going to see what they're going to see. And what, and I think frankly, what they, what I don't want to say what they want to see, because I don't want to imply that you're jumping to a conclusion based on some kind of wish casting here. But I think that um, there, 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 there has been a fair amount of projection going on from readers in Spider-Man for the last year or so. And, and I think when it comes to the identity and the, and the genetic disposition of the children, uh, there, there, it, it, it's more of the same. Cause I had, I've, I had several people tell me point blank, you're crazy. It clearly looks like Paul get over it. And I'm like, okay. I mean, that's what you saw. I don't see it that way. Uh, right. Right. And, and to your point earlier, if it is Paul's child, Great. Like, let's explore what that means and why why we went this direction. And, you know, hopefully they can convince me that it was the right direction to go with the character. I can be convinced of almost anything, you know, as long as the writing is good. I, I will say uh, I, I said this on Twitter, Dan, and I'll, I'll, I'll say it here for our, our podcast listeners as well, since I, I feel like a lot of the people who <laughs> tend to engage with me about this stuff on Twitter don't actually listen to our podcast. For, that, that is a certainty. Um, yeah. But I, I will say that. Yes, like let's let's get the explanation and and the reasoning and and the emotional heft behind this. But um, I'm not going to make a I'm not going to make a prediction. I'll let you make the prediction. But like if if the answer is ultimately well, Peter, you were gone. I was lonely. I had needs, so I slept with Paul, and these are our children. I would be grossly disappointed in that as a as a, a storyline direction. I, I, I like just, just as my for my personal preference. I really don't think that's what it's going to be. I wouldn't love that as a decision. That's so yeah, well, yeah. That's outright, all. I don't, I don't love that either. And you know, I think, I think, look, not to give the critics uh, any kind of like credit, but like I get it. Like the book is clearly setting you up to think that MJ and Paul had these kids, right? And so if your reaction to that is like, I don't like that, like I get it. Like I'm not the biggest fan of that either. But I also have more faith in this writing team, you know, because I think it's been earned, maybe not necessarily an editorial, because I think, you know, but I, I also think like if, if that's the direction they choose to go with it, they better have a really good answer for why that's the, the direction they wanted to go with it. Other than we thought it would be a cool way to take the character. Cool. Like, but you're changing a monumental part of the Spider-Man mythos by, you know, like because that's not an easily undone thing that like Mary Jane had children and went through pregnancy and all of that stuff like uh, that that's you know I mean we kind of tend to ignore it from the clone saga like no one brings that up you know that that canonically happened 
Like I just, I'm with you. I just don't think that that's the clean answer. And I think the book has done everything it can to one, make you think that, but also be safe enough to not confirm it. And the people that think that they know that that's confirmed are not reading the same text that I'm reading. Like they're my family is about as vague as you could make that statement. Also known as a comic book cliffhanger, you know, like, Heaven forbid a comic leave you like uncertain about what's coming next. And we have to embrace that uncertainty. We get this all the time. We think someone's dead. We think someone's angry. We think something shocking has happened. And then we're going to get like, like, you know, we can very easily, if not the next issue, the issue, because I think the next issue is going to be almost exclusively from MJ's perspective, right? In Zababa. Is that? Well, we're going to get uh car. Andrews is, is coming on the book. Uh, Spider-Man rain fame. And he's doing the art with Wells writing a sequence of the next issue that is from MJ's perspective. I believe we're still going to see the story moving forward um, in that book, but also we're see- we're getting an aside that is all from MJ's perspective. Okay, but either so either way, it's very possible that we may get this exact sequence again, but drawn a little differently to give you a different interpretation. You know what I mean? Like it's so like, someone's like, look at, look at her. Look, she looks so stern. And it's like, again, like that's comics. Like we're, we're they're, they're, yes, they're, they're baiting you here. And like, you know, like I know that's another criticism. It's like, Oh, this, 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 the spider office, all they want to do is, is spark outrage. And it's like, no, man, this this is a cliffhanger. This is this is like comics have been doing this for for decades. Like like this is this is part and parcel here. Like this is nothing out of bounds here. This isn't about trying to stoke outrage. And yes, you know Zeb Wells in the interview, and I can't go. I'm not going to be able to go to conventions. We can. I know we're not getting into that right now, but like that's a whole other thing. But in terms of what is on the page here, there is nothing on this page that is definitive in any direction. And yes, like you said, it it is meant to lead you in that direction but like i've also like as someone who has been reading these comics for over 30 years i'm not taking that bait you know what i mean like like okay (laughs) give me that story what's next you know and then i will make the judgment because i i I feel like you have to in a storyline like this like yes you're allowed to judge a story uh, you know an individual comic on an individual basis and how it sets up the next part of the story but like i don't feel like you can say i know what happened in this arc from one part of a comic that's halfway through the arc. That's all. So there you go. Anyway. Right. And I, I think, I think also like just for me, like, you know, this, this ongoing run has been a very good way of like really assessing how you and I grade things on the show too, which is to say like, are we enjoying it in the moment? Right? Like it might go a direction that we're not happy with, but at the current moment, all we can say is what we're reading on the page. And I'm really enjoying what I'm getting in the moment. And my expectation is always going to have to side on this will be good until we get to the point at which it's not like kindred could have had a great end that justified all of that. It was a taller and taller and taller thing to mount making something that would justify and clear up that. And they didn't end up doing it in the end. And there were issues in the kindred saga that we really enjoyed. Like the one with Peter in the theater, right? That was all about kindred. And we were like, in the moment that was really satisfying. Looking back, that was an unearned chapter in an ongoing saga, you know, like will history maybe look at these Wells books differently than we are feeling in the moment, perhaps, but all we can talk about is what we're enjoying now. I did want to say like, like this kid's thing could go multiple directions, right? It could be MJ and Paul's kids. It could also equally be that Peter and MJ slept before she slept together before she went to another dimension. And those are actually their biological kids, right? Like she was pregnant and that just sped things up. I mean, like to me, based on the evidence I have right now, that seems like the far more logical conclusion to make, given that the kids look like, Peter and MJ. I don't think that's um, what we're getting either, though. I got to be on. I think that's no. I think, I think there's also, a sim- I don't yeah. know that they're twins. Right, right. But I feel like there's a simplicity in the well. She just slept with Paul because she was lonely, and there's a simplicity in she slept. You know, they're they're hers and Peter's kids from before they were born. So, what are your other theories? Go, go, have fun. Okay, so here's here's a theory that I've been thinking about, and I kind of want to get it out there before we get what I imagine is next issue: the reveal on what the identity of these kids are my read on these kids has always been they're not like real people 
so to speak. Like, because one, if you're going to get rid of these kids, which like seems like a high likelihood that like there's something going on here that like we're not going to saddle MJ with kids moving forward. And I could be wrong. Like that could be the direction they're going. Right. But you can't just kill off a kid or get rid of a kid easily. It's, you know, although, you know, MJ does say earlier in the series, like it's about responsibility, why she can't be with Peter. And that takes me back to Gail and her family in Pennsylvania. And that's kind of a nice ending to the MJ story. If there's going to be one is that she is upholding the values that she feels in the face of what we learned about her origin story in, in the Ron friends, Tom DeFalco run. There's no evidence for what I'm about to say, but I did want to get it out there too. Maybe even just to calm people down. Is that like, we know that the realm that Paul and MJ are in at present is one that's built on symbology, right? Like he's got the guns that change form, you know, like, you know, we got the spider tracers. We know that's like symbology is a key aspect to Paul's work. Right. And Mark, I'm sure you can relate to this as I am, you know, I've always known to be true, but I'm experiencing currently in my life is that like, we often talk about how in the real world, our children are a symbol of like a parent's love for each other as reflected in their kids. Like I look at my son and I feel that way. And I, I see my wife, I see myself in him. I see my extended family in it. My, my parents, my grandparents, all their DNA show up in those kids. And, um, you know, it, it has brought us closer together and maybe this is, you know, daddy dapper Dan Gavazdan showing up right now and, and fueling this into the comic. But, um, you know, MJ has been away from Peter for what is probably years. Like, could it be that she materialized these kids as symbols of that love that she can protect and keep alive until the threat of Rabin is gone or until she returns to the 616 universe? Like, you know, this comic has been so interested in the love between Peter and MJ, you know, like what if these kids are not kids, so to speak, they are that love kept alive whether it means she had to move on, she was gone from Peter so long and she found this new love with Paul, but wanted to keep that old love alive in some way and made these kids. Like, I think there's something more going on there. And also the fact that we haven't gotten a lot of characterization from these kids. Like, you know, like they could just be that just symbols. Well, like, yeah. So I actually wanted to interject. I'm not, not that I'm about to speculate here, but, and I preface this by saying, I have not, due to reasons, been able to read the the Mary Jane and Black Cat uh, miniseries that came from Dark Web. So if this contradicts that, um, I can stand down and um, you know Alex and 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 you know everyone else. You can you can edit this out. But like we have we seen these kids like interact with anyone that isn't Peter and Paul, uh, not Peter, uh, Paul and and MJ yet. I mean. No, we haven't. Like it's been ex- ex- explicitly like not the case. Like even when Paul and MJ are in Norman's office, we don't get an explanation about a babysitter or anything right. like that. Yeah, or like when know? they're at the resort with, you know, and Peter's there with Felicia. Like it's not like, oh yeah, well we left the kids with Aunt No No or whatever, or you know, like right, exactly. And um, you know, there's this whole idea of like performative nature around the kids, like. When like Paul asks MJ, how are you doing? She says, good. He's like, it'll have to be great. Here come the kids. You know, like there's something going on there. Right. And, you know, and, uh, you know when this yeah. whole arc kicked off, I mean, you know, what was one of the things and we both kind of commented on this when we reviewed it was, you know, Rabine shows up and it's like, you know, you know, what Paul, you know what to do with the kids. You know what I mean? So like, yeah, there's there is a lot of very unanswered questions going on here that I think relates to not just the identity of these children, but the, 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 the actual presence and being of these children. And, and I think that, you know, what you're hitting on is something that is accurate. You know, you know, I, I did see something in the Slack. I'm, I am going to, I'm not, it's not my speculation, but you know, like that maybe, you know, these, these kids are kind of the manifestation of Wyatt being like severed in two before Peter left the dimension. You know what I mean? Like there's, there's, there's a lot happening here, and I think a lot of it is pointing more towards the mystical and and maybe the less tangible than the you know MJ 
MJ slept with somebody and and birthed two children, you know, like so like like we got to just kind of roll with it a little bit. And, you know, you may not. Yeah. 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 And, our, and Our critics will say like, oh, we're just saying this so that we can continue like propping up wells and not really dealing with the reality that she did have kids. I'm OK. I, I don't love her having kids, but I'm OK with it if it justified but I also deeply don't think that that's what's going on here. Like I, I, and I think it's supported by the text. I'm going to say, let's get the answers because unlike some previous runs on this book, like we, we are in the midst of a storyline that, you know, a critical storyline that also is like, you know, seems to be answering the questions that it posited several months earlier, rather than extending it out for another go round. I mean, like, you know, it's, I guess there's still a possibility that they won't, fully answer things in the next two issues. And we, we will have to, uh, you know, see what those consequences are if that's the case. But like, yeah, like either way, like when we get to the answers, then we can make a determination about whether or not we think this is a good direction for the comic book and these characters. But like, you know, when we're still operating in a realm where it can go in multiple directions and yeah, I, I, I just don't, there, there is nothing from this comic that I have seen yet that has led me to the conclusion that it's going to be the more obvious answer of, you know, again, not, I'm not trying to be glib about it, but like, I just don't feel like MJ got knocked up by either Peter or Paul and, and popped two kids out in, 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 in this other dimension. I just, I, I have not seen anything in this comic that makes me think that that is truly the obvious thing outside of some bait from the comic and how it's setting up cliffhangers. So, you know, that's, that's, so that's my prediction. <laughs> yeah. And I, and I, and I'll, to answer your earlier thing about like, whether this is going to be the end of it or not, I really, really don't think we're in a last remains no, situation. I don't either. I really don't. But you know, I guess that option is always a possibility when the story itself is not technically done yet, you know, like, like, it's true because we also thought during Last Remains that was the the end of the Kindred Saga. So, well, you know, but we did and we yeah. didn't. I mean, like, I mean, we were making our predictions, and I was like, "It's Harry Osborn," and it happened. And you were like, "You're just right." I could like it, there was like even when I even when it happened, I was like, "Really? Am I right?" Like it didn't feel like you know. <laughs> um, so anyway, so do we want to grade this thing, Dan? It's Mason or do you want- Banks. Yes. Is behind all of this. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Let's let's get to our grades. Mark, what'd you think of this one? I, I'm giving this a B. I mean, like I I like I said, I enjoyed it, but it's probably like my least favorite installment of the arc so far, but like I'm still completely on board with this. I mean, you know, so um, but like it, it, I, I, I this book didn't shine for me as much as the last two did for certain. So And this one's a B plus for me. I I think it was about on par with the start of this uh, run. Like I, like I, it's given me a lot to chew on, but yes, it's a, it's a minor entry in what I think is a, as a potential to be an all timer arc if it sticks the landing. So we'll, we'll see. Uh, Time will tell. We're getting three weeks between the next two issues, you know, in the back of this book, Nick Lowe said he wanted to give them extra time to make sure they could create masterpieces. His language, not mine. I hope they do like take those extra weeks, make sure it's great. Like this ending needs to be solid. So um, I hope they can get there. And I guess Mark will find out, which means it'll be perfect time for us to kick off season six in, in those three week uh, in- intervals. So something to look forward to. Although, I think by the time most people are listening to this, season six has already begun. Look at you, so, look at you baiting our listeners with a cliffhanger, Dan. Well, hey, this is all to say, sign up for our Patreon so that the timeline of our recordings makes more sense. Anyway, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's, Mark, why don't you take us home? Well, of course, Dan, it is that time, time for all good things to come to an end. So we want to say thank you to you, the listeners and viewers, for tuning in to this episode of The Amazing Spider Talk. Yeah, everybody, this podcast exists because of listener support on the very same Patreon I was just talking about. So for $3.99 a month, you can help support our show's existence while getting early episodes, including these reviews the same week the comics release, exclusive artwork, and a ton of other bonuses. I'll also say you can get it for less than $3.99 a month 
if you sign up for the annual one, it's like $43 a year, uh, which is like cheaper than getting a subscription to a comic. You know, you can just listen to us right on time. I think it's a worthwhile endeavor. You get a lot more than just that. Thanks to everybody who already supports us and the work that we do. Plus, want to issue a special thank you and welcome our newest patrons, Daniel Thatcher, Warren Alexander, Randomize the Plot, and Alan Steinberg. And a special thanks to Dan uh, Guidis, Guidis, I'm probably butchering his name, for upgrading his membership this week. Man, we got all those new members and... People said we were failing, Dan. That's really fascinating. Anyway, to download our earliest episodes, including interviews with legendary creators like J.M. Demetrius, Tom DeFalco, Ron Friends, Mark Bagley, and many, many more, subscribe to our amazing Spider Talk Back Issues podcast on Apple Podcasts. This episode was edited by Rick Coast. Our video version of the show is available on YouTube and is edited by Alex Galucki. Our artwork comes handcrafted by artists Ron Friend, Sal Buscemer, Ray Sumzer, Josh Sutton, and Nick Cagnetti. Our theme songs were produced by Ryland Bojack, Tony Thaxton, and Spider Madge, and our animated intro was created and performed by Josh Sutton. So Mark, until we both get spaghettiified when we travel to the podcast dimension, what's our motto? Ooh, spaghetti. That's almost as good as like a week old sandwich in a refrigerator. Uh, our motto, of course, is with great podcasts, there must also come the amazing spider talk. Don't, don't miss the next installment.